Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, if you've not already, I do encourage you to check out my ebooks, All I Needed to Know I Learned from Columbo, and All I Needed to Know I Learned from Dragnet. These uh, ebooks examine the careers and histories of seven great fictional detectives and policemen and life lessons that can be learned from them. They are available as ebooks or also as audiobooks through audible.com or the Apple Store. You can find all my books, audiobooks, and ebooks over at store.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Philo Vance, the original air date, April the 26th, 1949, and the title is The Cipher Murder Case. Quiet tonight, ain't it, Mike? Yeah, but I don't mind. Drive around another two hours, call into headquarters, and somebody else can have this patrol car for the next shift. Me, I'm going to bed. Nice houses on this street, huh? Well, they're big, say that for them. People live in them, got lots of dough, say that for them. Yeah. How'd you like to live with a house like that and on the corner? Yeah, not bad. Great Maggie wouldn't like it, though. Too many rooms to clean. Ah, she wouldn't have to worry about that. Servants, pal. You'd have to have a mess of service. Uh, you don't know Maggie. She wants to do everything herself. I never saw anything like hey, Eddie, it. look. Where? Coming out of that big house we just passed. Two guys. They're shoving guns in their pockets. Stop this heap. We're getting out. Right. right with you, Mike. Get your gun out. Looks like we're in for a little action. Hey, you two, stop. Uh, stop or we'll shoot. Uh, they are stopping. Let's let them have it. Right. Yeah, they got the same idea first. See how they like it. They're only half a block away. We'll grab him, Eddie. Won't have to grab both of them. One of them's hit. Look, he's staggering. Yeah, but look at the other guy. He's got his gun against his buddy. Hey, don't! He shot his own pal. How I'd like this shot to get him. My turn. Uh, we're both missed. If he makes that car that's parked there, we're sunk. Oh, he's made it all right. And there he goes. All right, uh, let's go back and get our crate. We can chase him. Now let's take a look at this buddy of the guy got away. He's done for. Through. Take a look. Ever seen him before? Nope. Oh, get the people starting to come around. All right, everybody. Get back. Go on home. Go to bed. Take a look for identification, Eddie. Right. All right. Look, everybody. Nothing's going on. The show's over. Go on. Get back to bed. Get back to bed, will hey, you? Hey, Mike. Yeah? We got a real mystery on our hands. First two guys stick up a place. Then one of them kills the other guy. And look what I found in the other one's pocket. Piece of paper. All it's got on it is two words. Live on. Now, what's that mean? (laughs) 
Mr. Parker, boss... Don't bother me, Larry. I don't bother people, Mr. Parker. I do just like I'm told all the time. All the time. Well, do what you're told. I told you not to bother me. He sore at me, boss. Sore at me. Of course not, Larry. I'm just trying to work out some instructions for our next job. Matter of fact, I'm very pleased with you. Oh, thanks, you boss. You did very well last night, robbing the Hilton home and shooting Joe when the cops hit him. I'm glad you liked it, Mr. Parker. Joe would have started talking if the cops grabbed him alive. He was hit in the leg and couldn't keep going, so I knocked him off. I done right. You most certainly did. Now, just hold everything momentarily, Larry. I'm not sending you on the next job. I've got other friends, you know. Oh, sure, sure, I know. I know, but... Ain't the cops got your phone tapped? That's what you said. Well, they suspect I'm in the back of these private home holdups, Larry, but they can't prove anything. And while they can tap this phone, they can't trace whoever it is I'm calling. That's impossible on a dial phone. Yeah. The message for tonight is hole pin. Hole pin. That's right. Take care of things just like we planned, will you? Don't give it another thought. So long. Goodbye, my friend. Good luck to you. Hey, gee, boss, you're smart. Really smart, I mean. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you very much. But I have help. A great deal of help. And from the most unexpected places and people. And then, Mr. Vance, the paper goes on to say that the robber who killed his accomplice is being sought by the police. Who expect to make an arrest shortly. Oh, that's right, Mr. Vance. How did you know? Oh, I'm smart, Miss Williams. Didn't you know? Gosh, Mr. Vance, I've only been working for you for three months. You, you can't expect a girl to know everything in three months. No, I guess not. I think, though, that... Miss Williams, Vance. Oh, hello, Mr. Well, Williams. hello, Markham. I've rather been expecting you... Miss Williams was just telling me about the mysterious message found in the dead hold-up man's pocket. That's why I'm here, Vance. I'd like to talk to you about the whole thing, if I may. Well, come right into my private office, Markham. Can't have the district attorney of our fair city flaunting a furrowed forehead to the world at large. <laughs> Gives the town a bad name. In here, please. Thank you, but I'm not worrying about this town getting a bad name. I'm worrying about someone giving me a rather bad time. Sit down, Markham, please. And let's have your problem. Right, Vance. As you must know, there have been quite a few holdups of fashionable parties in the past few months. Yes, I've read about them. In fact, you and I have discussed them from time to time, casually, of course. But you mentioned the police suspect of Mr. Edward Parker. We do, but Parker's clever. He has two or three stooges he sends out on the jobs. But let's take that robbery last night up on 58th Street, the one where one of the thieves shot his buddy after the police had wounded him. What about it, Markham? We found a slip of paper in the dead man's pocket, Vance. It said just two words, live on. Then we intercepted a message Ed Parker was telephoning to someone. That message said, hole, pin. Those words have some kind of meaning, I'm sure. They most certainly have, Markham. A very definite meaning. Not to me. I just want a second to make sure of what I'm saying. That robbery last night on 58th Street, was it at number 4360? Yes, but the papers all carry that. I didn't remember it from the papers, believe me. Now I think I can tell you where the next robbery will take place. Oh, no, Vance, Yes, no. my friend. Of course, I'm not sure exactly when it will take place. But after I make a phone call, I think I'll be able to give you that information, too. But, Vance, what you're saying is ridiculous. You can't possibly know that. No, well, I think I can. 
Just have the police at 2540-138th Street and see what happens. Yes, Markham, that's where the next hold-up attempt will be made. I'm so happy you're having a good time, Mr. Davis. I'm so glad you're enjoying yourself. Incidentally, there's young Alice Morton over at the refreshment table. Wouldn't you like to join her? Uh-huh. Definitely, Mrs. Blake. <laughs> I thought you would. Everybody, can I have your attention, please? <laughs> at some particular time at every party, the hostess feels it has solemn duty to make an announcement. At the moment, duty calls. <laughs> I think you'll all be glad to hear that we have with us that distinguished pianist, Dmitri Raboff who has consented to play a few selections. Mr. Raboff. Uh, for his first number, Mr. Raboff plays the Rachmaninoff Prelude in G minor. Okay, you at the piano, hold it! Everybody stay still and nobody move. There's a stick-up. Lock the door, Jimmy. Cut that out, lady. Cut it out or you'll never do no screaming no more. And don't none of you guys get brave all of a sudden. All of you got too much jewelry on. My friend here's got a big bag he's going to put in the center of the floor. Go ahead, Jimmy. Out. Now. That's it. All you guys and dames, one at a time, starting from my left, dump your rocks into that bag. And don't hold out or I'll come get them myself. Hey, you, you fat dame, you start it off. That's a go. Open up the door. Open it up. This is the police. Hey, it's the cops. Come on, Jimmy. Out them French windows and say, buddy. Stop them, somebody. Don't let nobody try it. That's what they get if they do. All right, bust through them French windows, Jimmy. Let's get going. Open the door, somebody. Let the police in. There they are. What? Which way they go? Out the French windows. They might still be in the garden. Okay, lady. Come on, Eddie. Let's get after them. They're around anywhere. We'll get them. Coming. Coming. Yes? How do you do? I'm Philo Vance. You are Mrs. Blake? Yes, I am. Please come in, both of you. This is District Attorney Markham, Mrs. Blake. How do you do? How do you do? Won't you gentlemen come in and sit down? We're not going to stay very long, Mrs. Blake. We just wanted to speak to you about the party in your house last night. It was terrible. If the police hadn't arrived, every one of my guests would have been robbed. If Mr. Vance hadn't told us that there'd be a robbery attempt at this address, the police wouldn't have arrived so conveniently, Mrs. Blake. But we'd like a description of the man who held up your guests. Let's see. They were both average height. The one with the gun had a long, thin nose and a cut under his right eye. Uh-huh. The other was, well, just an ordinary-looking person. I see. Mrs. Blake, I understand your position in the social world, and I imagine that this was rather embarrassing to you. Well, it would have been under ordinary circumstances, but there have been several attempted hold-ups at parties recently, so I don't feel too badly. What we want to know is whether you recognized either of the two men, Mrs. Blake. Had you ever seen either one of them before? I'm quite sure I didn't. They both wore masks, but from their general appearance, I'm certain I'd never seen either one. We thought that perhaps they might have been servants employed either by you or some of your friends who were victims of previous robberies, Mrs. Blake. I doubt that very much. Is there anything else, gentlemen? 
I think not, Mrs. Blake. Thank you so much for your kindness. It's quite all right. Please drop in again if you like. Only let's make it a less formal visit. Well, thank you. We may do that, Mrs. Blake. At least one of us might do that. That one of us being me. I'd be glad to see you at any time, Mr. Vance. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mrs. Blake. What's getting into you, Emily? You gone crazy? No, I don't think so, Ed. Why? Why? He gave Vance and Markham a perfect description of one of my boys. You blow this racket about sky high before we really get started. You're such an alarmist, Ed. I didn't tell them anything they couldn't have gotten from any of the guests who were here last night. What do you want me to do? Give them a false description so that the trail would lead directly to me? I'm sorry, Emily. I guess I didn't think of that. Now, let's get back to what we were talking about before Vance and Markham got here. I think we'd better talk about what happened when Vance and Markham got here. We can't use that code anymore, Ed. Vance has already broken it. How do you know? Markham said that Vance knew the holdup was to be here. They've tapped your wire, Ed. Heard you give instructions in cipher and broke the code. That Vance is too smart. Maybe I ought to take care of him. Maybe you shouldn't have started with him. How'd I know he'd be called in on this case? There weren't supposed to be any murders, you know that. Larry killed Joe and the cop's bullet got him, but we didn't plan on that. No, but in order to be successful at anything, Ed, it's well to be prepared for emergencies. Nothing ever goes entirely according to plan. Well, our next job or two, where's it going to be? Let me see, I have the invitation right here in my desk. Oh. Mr. and Mrs. Cornelius Worthington requests the pleasure of... Let me see... Tomorrow night. Uh-huh. That's it, tomorrow night at the Worthington home. And if I know Celia Worthington, she'll have everybody who means anything in this town at her house. Good. This time we don't fool around with codes or with anything else. This time I do the job myself. Larry and I. I like that. That means there'll be only three ways to split. You and Larry and me. Two and a half ways. We'll cut Larry's piece down to a half of what he's supposed to get. He never knows what he's going to get. You know, Ed, I think we ought to give a little thought to Philo Vance. He might give us trouble. Him? I don't think so. Let him interfere with this, and he won't know what he's going to get either. This is District Attorney Markham. The Cypher murder case opened with the shooting of a hold-up man by his own accomplice. In the dead man's pocket was found a code message which Vance succeeded in breaking down, to such an extent that when I told him we had tapped the telephone wire of a Mr. Ed Parker and heard him say, Hole Pin, Vance immediately gave the address of the next hold-up attempt. We were able to thwart that effort as a consequence, but had no idea whether the gang intended to strike again. It is for this reason that I'm calling on Vance, whom I expect to find. Vance, where are you? In my private office, Markham. Come right in. I'm on the way. How are you today, Vance? Very well, which apparently is more than I can say for you. What's bothering you, Markham? This cipher case, Vance. We've continued to tap Ed Parker's phone, but we've gotten nothing from him that even resembles a code. I didn't imagine you would. You think he knows we've succeeded in figuring out his code? I'm reasonably certain of that. Just because the police broke up that hold-up at Mrs. Blake's the other night? That's only one reason, Markham. But the others aren't to be discussed right now. 
Vance, you know the police broke that code Parker used. It took them some time. Yet you figured it in less than a minute. I'll explain that to you, Markham, but not now. Right now, I'm wondering where that hold-up mob will hit next and how I can find out. Well, they seem to be concentrating on gatherings of the elite, strictly social stuff. Really? Well, then the chances are that Mrs. Emily Blake would be invited to the next affair. And she did invite me to call on her, remember, Markham? Yes. I think I'll accept that invitation, my friend. I see. You intend to get her to tell you when the next big social event will take place and perhaps ask you to accompany her. (laughs) Vance, you're a very resourceful man. (laughs) That isn't the only reason I'm doing it, Markham. Don't forget, Mrs. Blake is a very charming woman. Julia, Julia, hurry with my hair. I don't have all night, you know. I know, Mrs. Blake. I won't be a moment. I've laid out all your jewelry on the dressing table. You can be ready in a moment after I get finished. Well, then hurry up and get finished, why don't you? I'll get that myself. Stand in back of me and finish my hair while I'm talking. Very well, madam. Hello? Emily, this is Cornelius Worthington. Cornelius! Don't tell me I'm that late that you called to find out what was delaying me. (laughs) Not quite. Uh, Emily, dear, there's a change in plans about the party tonight. Oh? Yes, one of the children's ill, and they've quarantined our house. Oh, how dreadful, Corny. We called the Applebee's, and they're going to have our party at their house. Come there, won't you? I've got a dozen people to call, so I've got to cut this short. The Applebee's are at 651. 651? 131st Street. 131st Street. You don't mind, Emily? Oh, it's perfectly all right, Corny. I understand. Toodaloo. Oh, I'm finished, Mrs. Blake. Oh, good. Now, hand me that telephone. Yes, ma'am. Oh, wait. There's someone at the door. Here, call this number and just give them this message. The message is Bop Pip. Bop Pip? Yes, do it right away, will you? I'll get that door myself. I'll do it, but I don't know what I'm doing. Coming. Good evening. Please come in. Good evening, Mrs. Blake. Why, you're staring at me. Is anything wrong? Is it the white tie or the topper? It isn't either, Mr. Vance. Only you seem to look as if you belonged in a white tie. That's rather strange attire for a private investigator, isn't it? Yes, but at the moment I'm not working at my chosen profession. You did invite me to call, didn't you? Why, yes. But I'm going out tonight. I thought you might be, hence these evening clothes. May I go with you? Well, well, why not? Thank you. By the way, Mrs. Blake... You look quite charming. Thank you. My wrap, then, sits over by the chair. Of course. Here you are. Beautiful shoulders, Mrs. Blake. Beautiful. I'm going to run out of thank yous. But I warn you, it'll be long after you run out of compliments. Perhaps. Where are we going, or shouldn't I ask? We're going to a party. Oh? It was supposed to be held at the Worthingtons, but it's over at the Applebee's. That won't bother you any. We're still going. Of course. It won't bother me any. Shall we go? Vance, I think you're the most charming man I've ever known. That Mrs. Blake speaks eloquently for my conceit and very badly for the other men with whom you've been. Are all social parties this dull? No. Only the ones I've been to. (laughs) Score one for the distaff side of the combination. 
You know, I think we're getting along rather well. I'm glad to hear that. We were, as far as I was concerned. But I'll have you know that when you walked into this room, every woman in the place turned to stare at you. I didn't notice. Used to that sort of attention, Vance? Immune to it. Tell me, who is everybody here? Well, let's see. That's Appleby Jr. over there. His dad owns mills or something. And next to him... Mrs. Appleby? (laughs) Don't be naive. That's Celia Worthington. Oh. Mrs. Appleby is over by the piano with Cornelius Worthington. Cozy, isn't it? What happens when it comes time to go home? See that light switch next to you? Yes. At midnight, somebody turns that out, and everybody rejoins the partner he came here with. (laughs) No wonder people are looking so strangely at us. Tell me more about the others. Well, um, there's Montgomery Todd over there. Mr. Todd is the tall man looking vaguely around the room. And Mrs. Todd? Well, she's the one Montgomery is looking vaguely around the room for. (laughs) She's the thin woman over by the palms at the other end of the room. Very wealthy. Isn't everybody here? Practically. Okay, everybody. Don't anybody do anything except what I tell them and nobody will be hurt. Another robbery. All right, quiet. It's an epidemic lately, isn't it? Now, look, all of you, you've all got jewels. They're probably all insured. Now, we want them and we don't want any trouble getting them. I want all the men to turn their backs. The lights. What happened to the lights? Hey, boss, boss, there's a trap. Let's get out of here fast. I guess I can turn the lights on now, don't you think, Mrs. Blake? You acted very quickly, Vance. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, too, Mrs. Blake. Perhaps you didn't act as quickly, but your acting was very good just the same. Markham speaking. Markham, this is Vance. I've just left Mrs. Blake party we were going to switched to dresses at the last moment. Yes, I know. My men found only servants home when they went to cover the Worthington house. Two men just tried to hold up the guests at this party, Markham. I slipped away to call you and report. Oh, glad you did. Sergeant Heath found out where the party was. He just called in to say he picked up two men who were fleeing from the Appleby mansion. Come on down here, Vance. I'll have them here in a few moments. I'll be there, Markham, and I'll bring Mrs. Blake with me. I'm quite sure she can supply all the identification we need. Right in here, Mrs. Blake, if you will. This is District Attorney Markham's office. This is all very distasteful to me, Vance. I'm sorry, but it has to be done. Please come in. All right. Uh, Just a moment, please. Just a moment. Uh, Hello, Vance. Glad you're here. Good evening, Mrs. Blake. Hello, Mr. Markham. Mrs. Blake, we picked up these two men as they were running from the Appleby house an hour ago. Can you identify them as the men who tried to hold up the guests of the party? Well, no. No, I can't. They're the men who tried to hold up tonight's party, Markham. I recognize them. Thank you, Vance. I guess that's all we need. We can take them in and break up the mob that's been praying at society functions. Do you have all of the mob members, Markham? We have Parker here. He's the one whose phone we had tapped. And Larry Dayton, that's the short individual in the corner there. We think he's Parker's number one helper. There may be one or two others, but we'll get them. I'm quite sure you will. You might as well have everyone connected with the thefts, Markham. For instance, you might take this very important member of the gang, (laughs) Mrs. Emily Blake. What? I? Mr. Vance, you can't mean that. Are you sure, Vance? Quite. And I can mean that, Mrs. Blake. I can do more than mean it. I can prove it. (laughs) 
I'd like nothing better than to relax at the end of a case, Vance, but we've gotten confessions from Mrs. Blake and Ed Parker, and I'm still not relaxed. Markham, what's the trouble? You know, I told you the police broke that code that Parker was using, but never explained it to me. I want to know first how you broke it, and so quickly. Oh, that? Well, let me see. The original code message found on the dead man was, live on, right? Yes. And the robbery the dead man was fleeing from took place at 4360 58th Street. Yes. The letters in the words, live on, became the numbers 4360 and 58, Markham. By use of a code word, each letter becomes a number. That's why when you intercepted Parker's message about hole pin, I was able to tell you the address of the next attempted stick-up. But how could you have broken the code so quickly? The minute I saw it, I knew it as well as I knew my own name. In fact, it was my own name. Your own name? What? Philo Vance. The P was 1, the H2, the I3, the L4, and so on. Well, I'll be darned. They picked your name. I wonder why. Two reasons. One, it was known to everybody involved. Two, they never thought I'd be called in on a mere series of robberies. Hmm. Well, that brings me up to the question of Mrs. Blake's guilt, Vance. That. Well, it started because I believed there had to be somebody on the inside tipping off the gang as to where these parties were being held. Uh-huh. I didn't suspect Mrs. Blake until after the robbery at her house when, in an effort to divert suspicion from herself, she described one of the masked thieves too well. How do you mean, too well? She said he had a cut under his eye. Now, if he had worn a mask, and we know he did, she couldn't have seen the cut. That got me to thinking. Then I learned that Cornelius Worthington was giving a party. I went to him and got him to switch his party to the Appleby's house. Why? Well, Worthington was to wait at his home and escort every other guest to the Appleby's personally. There, the guests were to be told the phone was out of order. But Worthington was to call Mrs. Blake and tell her about the change in plans for the party. Oh, I see now. Then when the party was held up, it was only Mrs. Blake who could have been in touch with Ed Parker to tell him the new address. Exactly. Uh-huh. Anything else, Markham? I think not, Vance. I do think that lack of funds and a desire to maintain her social position must have put Mrs. Blake in the middle of this situation. I imagine so. But let's forget her in the middle of this situation. Let's realize we've reached the end of the Cypher murder case. Welcome back. The idea of Philo Vance having to be introduced to high society 
having to have explained to him who people are and how things work would be considered preposterous uh, with the way the character was portrayed in the original uh, books. Because Philo Vance was not a detective in the books, he was a man who was a wealthy uh, dabbler who uh, decided to start solving crimes as a bit of a lark. This episode just kind of points out how the uh, character's portrayal has moved along from the way it was in the novels. And it's an illustration of a larger cultural trend that uh, back in the 19... 30s and 40s, characters who were popular in books often got movies, but whether the movies had any resemblance to the way they were portrayed in the print medium was something else entirely. There were a lot of movies being made, and uh, it was, you know, it's essentially one of those things where the uh, people who made the movie wanted to stand out. But not too much. You know, they wanted to make the same type of films that everyone else was making, but they wanted a little hook to give them uh, an advantage. So oftentimes, if you bought the right to a detective character with, you know, all of these unique characteristics, you wouldn't necessarily use them in the film. Rather, you would uh, have the character appear a popular type of film, whether it was related to how they were portrayed in print. A great example of that was, of course, with the film we played for Casey Crime Photographer, Here's Flash Casey, where they use the name of the character of Flash Casey, but the character in the movie and the character who uh, appeared in many stories in Black Mask magazine bore no resemblance to each other. Philo Vance, when S.S. Van Dyne was alive, was portrayed pretty close to how he was in the book. But once Van Dyne passed, character began to be portrayed as a professional private detective, a spy, whatever it was that the filmmakers thought was needed in order to cash in on the trends of the day. And at least uh, one of the uh, short Philo Vance series uh, we played, we saw somewhat of a radical departure from uh, the typical Vance uh, formula. The syndicated radio series we're listening to does use the names of Markham and Sergeant Heath, but really leans into the professional private investigator approach, as I think that was probably a bit more popular, particularly on radio, than the gentleman detective of the 1930s. Of course, there are still people today who are more than happy to do that sort of thing with uh, modern characters. However, I think it's a little less prevalent just because uh, you tend to have the potential for fan backlash and studios just want to avoid that. I also did find the idea in this episode that Vance only comes in on murder cases to be an interesting one. There is no reason established for this particular rule at all. Other than it's the fact, I guess, that all of his files are the this and that murder case. Maybe he's just like, Markham, I can't investigate a kidnapping. Why not? 
because that's not a murder case. If they get killed, then I can investigate the murder case. And I can call it something like the kidnap murder case. But if it's just a kidnap case, that's not going to work. It's going to mess up my entire filing system. Though actually, the way it's portrayed in the series seems like the work Vance is doing is as a uh, consultant to the police department. Since he really does not uh, take on clients of his own for the most part. It reminds me of Monk, a, uh, you know, Adrian Monk with Tony Shalhoub, only not as good. And anyway, well now it is time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Gary, Patreon supporter since May of 2020, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Gary. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, mark the notification bell. We will be back next Monday with a radio adaptation of the Maltese Falcon. And then next Thursday, another episode of Philo Vance. But coming up tomorrow, we head out and read the latest expense account from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where... Well, I started the Monopoly Club almost, almost three years ago to offer them harmless entertainment and relaxation. The game was quite popular. <laughs> Enabled them to play the financier, you know. Oh, yeah, I remember the game. But you buy and sell and try to amass a fortune. We ran month-long tournaments and... Oh, I tell you, some of the fortunes were astronomical. Well, just bands. <laughs> was there any other amusement offered? Well, I had a few tables for the card players. There were soft drinks and candies. And... Mr. Hobson... I want you to understand that I'm not a police officer. Anything you tell me will be kept in confidence. Oh, yes, of course. Did you run any gambling games? Why, of course not. My club was a decent legal establishment. The members were good, everyday working people. And your income came solely from memberships? From memberships and retail sales. Uh, I don't like your informations. Not one bit. I'm looking for a reason why somebody should have set fire to your building. That's why the gambling possibility crossed my mind. Heavy losses could drive somebody to it. Yes. You are absolutely sure that the fire was not accidental? The fire inspector, Captain McGreedy, seemed entirely satisfied. I saw the evidence, too. Uh, have you spoken to the police about this, Mr. Dollar? I know I haven't. Why do you ask? Well, uh, a man came to see me a week before last. Uh, on Monday, it wasn't. I was just opening up the club, so I was the only one there. It was one of those protection rackets. And he demanded money and made threats. You told the police about it? Of course, immediately. What did you say to this Well, I gave him $100 to get rid of him. That was to be the fee per month. As he put it, I'd better cooperate and keep my mouth shut or he'd put me out of business for good. Did the police come to see him? Yes, two officers came right out to the club. I told them I'd rather meet them someplace else, but they said the faster they got on his trail, the quicker they'd find him. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.